Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Hey, it's great to have you guys with us today. And if you're new with us, uh, you probably don't know this, but we're in a series in the book of Acts. We've been in there since Easter. We've been in the book of Acts, journeying through that so you would know what is the foundation of our faith and our movement that's been unstoppable called Christianity for thousands of years. To look at their life and look at what the, before there was ever a Bible, before there was ever an organized church, there was a faith that shook the world. And we've been looking at that and what these early believers were really shaped by. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 23, verse 12. Acts 23, uh, verse 12. I want to ask the question today as we open up, I want to ask this. You don't have, to, don't have to show your hand, you don't have to, don't have to nod your head, you don't have to say amen, but I wonder how many people in here have been actually hurt by church before, or hurt by someone in a church before, someone that was in a position in church. I want to ask the question here too, and this is even deeper, why do we make God pay for something that someone else did to us? Why do we make God pay for what a human did? Because in life, you're going to have hurt. And anytime you get in any relational environment, there's going to be hurt. There's going to be other things that happen. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is the prototype for that. What we see in his ministry is not preaching and fun and happiness and I'm so excited. That wasn't Paul's life. Paul's life was hurt, betrayal, disappointment. And today what we're going to look at in Acts 23 is a time when he was really hurt and had something happen to him that I guarantee none of y'all will ever have happened to you. Now remember the book of Acts, if you're skeptical of Christianity, trying to figure Christianity out, the book of Acts is key because the guy who wrote that was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. His name was Luke. And he was a doctor who did not follow Jesus when Jesus lived on the earth that we know of. So what he did, he wrote a gospel called the Gospel of Luke, telling his friend Theophilus all about Jesus and all about that, that he did. And Luke recorded, Luke researched, and then here's what he did next. He then wrote a follow-up book called the Book of Acts, a 30-year history of the early church. If you're wondering what was the early church about, a 30-year history of it. And the highlight of the Book of Acts, and it quickly shifts in chapters 9 through 28, is a man named Saul, who's a Jewish leader who wanted to persecute and kill Christians, and Jesus ends up meeting him. He gets saved. He changes his name to Paul. So he doesn't freak out these Jews he's trying to reach, you know, because like, he killed them before and persecuted them. And Luke joins Paul's team. And so what you see is you see a guy named Luke who traveled with Paul, and he saw these things happening. And where we're at today is this. Paul is in his final descent to eventually get to Rome. Tradition and history tells us that Paul was beheaded, martyred, by Roman soldiers eventually. But he wanted to get to Rome to preach the gospel to the Roman leaders of the Roman Empire. He wanted to share the gospel with them. He wanted more influence for the gospel. And he goes there first by going to Jerusalem. He's told if you go there, you'll get to Rome. And he, and he ends up getting arrested. Now he's arrested. Now he's sitting there under Roman care. And what happens in this passage today that we're going to see is very intriguing. Because remember, the Jews, his own people, he was the leading teacher. They knew who Paul was. He was going to be the leading teacher of all of Israel. They knew who he was. The Jews were the ones that came against him all the time. And not just in word, not just like telling him something's wrong with him, I don't like your teaching. But today, you're going to see these Jewish people who, again, they followed the Ten Commandments. They followed the Torah. You're going to see them stoop to a level that I guarantee none of us have ever experienced. So Paul's in Roman care. 
He's being transported and cared for by Roman soldiers. He's also a Roman citizen. He's a Jew and a Roman citizen. And look what happens here in, in uh, Acts 23, 12. It says, the next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. <laughs> I told you that's never happened to you, right? <laughs> that's pretty serious. There were more than 40 of them in conspiracy. Like all of them getting together to conspire against killing Paul. That's pretty serious. They went to the leading priest. This is important. I'm going to come back to this. And elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. They're all conspiring. The leading teachers, the priests who teach the, there's, for their old, our Old Testament, their Torah, their law and the prophets. They're all conspiring to kill this man. And it says this, pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. Verse 16, I love how God intervenes in our life, right? You know there's things that God has intervened in your life that you never even knew about? Isn't that beautiful? In verse 16 it says, but Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did explaining, Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand and led him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? And Paul's nephew told him, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want the, some more information. But don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now. I'm just waiting for your consent. And he says, don't let anyone know that you have told me this. The commander warned the young man. I want you to realize what's happening here. These are Jewish people who attend synagogue every Saturday, who claim to believe in the one true living God, who believe in the Ten Commandments. What's one of the great Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not what? Kill. And it's not only these people. They go to leading priests and elders, and they're all like, yeah, yeah, that's right. They set aside the Torah. They set aside all of that because of their hatred against Paul. And this is what Paul dealt with serving the Lord. As I've said before, I think one of the disservices we do people in American Christianity is we tell them that if you follow Jesus, life will get better. Life may not get better, but Jesus will make you better at life. He'll make you a better friend, a better husband, better father, better, I mean, whatever, worker, whatever. He will do that. But following Jesus doesn't mean life will just get better for you. And he will always fix everything. And Paul saw this over and over, and this is the greatest opposition that Paul had faced. That people, his own people, wanted to kill him. And they wouldn't eat or drink until it was done. So I guess they never ate or drank since, since the plan got foiled, right? I guess they all died of starvation. <laughs> but can you imagine? Could you imagine? Just, just, just for a second. You are serving Jesus. You're teaching the gospel. You're giving God all that you have. Let's say you're leading a small group at Thrive Church. And you find out that a group of people at Thrive Church have vowed to not eat or drink. They got together with me and Keith and some of the leaders and said, we want to take this person out and we will do whatever means necessary. How bad would that hurt to know that fellow people would do that to you? 
See, if I could have had one message preached to me when I left seminary, it would be this message here. I was never told this. I was never told this right here. I was never told that this type of suffering would happen when you're serving Jesus and all in for Jesus, especially teaching the Bible and teaching the gospel. But it does. And what I want you to understand is this, because this is the key point. If you're going to lean into Jesus, now if you're going to be nominal and just kind of come to church and sit around, it may never happen to you. Probably won't. You're not, you're not a target. But if you're going to lean in and give Jesus everything, here's what you have to understand, and it's this. Here, I want you to write this down in your notes. And it's doing the will of God means sometimes going to war with men. I mean men in general. Doing the will of God means sometimes going to war with men or with people. Meaning that if you're going to do the will of God, it means you're going to have people that are going to talk behind your back, that are going to gossip about you, they're going to misrepresent you, that will be mean to you and hurtful to you. And I want you to be fully aware of that so when it happens, you can say, hey, no, I'm actually doing great. I'm doing the will of God. Because oftentimes we think if you're doing the will of God, you would never face that. And that's what some people used against Paul in his own ministry. And I want you to understand in your heart that when you step up to lead, that's going to happen to you. And you got to realize that, man, that's just what Christians will sometimes do to you. And so I'm going to share with you about what that opposition looks like. And here's what I've learned. The first thing is this here, is that opposition comes from those you least expect it from. Paul had the Jews. It wasn't pagans. Yeah, he faced, in some cities, he faced some of the pagan stuff, but Jews would follow him from city to city. His own people, they were waiting for the Jewish Messiah. And can I tell you, your opposition will come from people you least expect it from. I mean, there's literally like, okay, so let you on an inside thing with, with me and like, like Keith, right? So he's our executive pastor. He serves here at Churchill Campus. We literally are like, okay, I wonder where we're not expecting it to come from next. I was talking with a person the other day that, that somebody was being, um, I don't know how to say it nicely, kind of a tailhole. Is that okay to say that? That knows better. That's a mature believer. It's supposed to be a mature believer. And, I, and the person said, I can't believe that person would say and do that. I said, oh, no, no, I can. Matter of fact, I'm always expecting it from, the, from where you least expect it in my life. And I think you've got to be ready for that too. You're going to have opposition from coworkers that you confided in, that you shared with, that you told them your secrets, and they are going to, and they're going to smile and say, I love you, I got your back, I'm praying for you. They'll pretend they're a Christian, and they're going to use it against you. And I hate to say that some of us aren't prepared for it, so when that stuff happens, we just crumble under the pressure. I can't believe this is happening to me. You better believe it. It's going to if you follow Jesus. And it will often come from those you least expect it from. And many times it's Christians. You know, my problem has not been the, you know, a, a drunkard. It's not been somebody who's just an alcoholic, doesn't know Jesus. And I, that's not my problem. What I've always dealt with are people who are or proclaim that they're strong believers. And they have values. And those are the ones that usually feel like for some reason that they don't have to act like they have values. So realize it will come from those you least expect it. The second thing I've learned is this. Satan wants to use those closest to you to hurt you the deepest. To Paul, these were people of his fellow Jews. And I'm sure it hurt him deeply. I mean, his nephew's in these meetings, hanging out with these guys, and his nephew hears it. And I'm sure Paul's like, I've given my life my life to proclaim 
the Jewish Messiah. And not only are you rejecting him, but you're trying to hurt me. And that's why many times, can I tell you, it, it's going to be your parents cutting remarks. It's going to be your, your spouse. It's going to be your friend. It's going to be those closest to you that hurt you the deepest. And the biggest battle that I've had to, had to understand in, in life and ministry is I cannot make people in the present pay for those for what someone did to me in the past. Because many times you just want to stop trusting people, right? I'll just stop trusting. But you cannot have a true, authentic relationship without trust. And so when these things happen to you, the people that are close to you, oftentimes we shut, the, shut it down and so say, I'm just not going to have any friends. Well, I just won't serve God anymore in that capacity. And that's what Satan wants us to do. If he, can, he will use those who are closest to you to hurt you the deepest in your life. The people who've hurt me the most, it's not some you know, person on social media that has an opinion about me that I don't know. I don't care. Everybody has an opinion. It's the people closest to me that will say things that hurt me the most. And that's what will happen to you as well. Just realize when that happens, Satan has a plan to hurt you. And the third thing is this. You have to realize when you get in conflict or these things happen, who you are when you are at war reveals what's really inside of you. A good therapist will say, I want to see this couple fight, and then I can help them. Right? You have got to understand that you will find out what's inside of you and others when conflict happens, when you're at war. Paul found out quickly, these Jews and their priests and their elders were like, oh, the Ten Commandments? We ain't got to obey that. I'm above that. I have every right to lie, every right to hurt, every right to kill. I am above all of that. And here's what you're going to find out inside of you and others. When you're at war, when you're at conflict with someone, you're going to find out what's inside of you, and you'll find out what's inside of them as well. When, when you get in conflict, you'll see ugly. And that's what Paul saw inside of them. You know, I've often said it this way. It, you know, you have two jars set up. You have honey and you have vinegar. And from a distance, sometimes you can't tell which is which unless you tip them over. And some people look like honey, but when you knock them over, they're vinegar. They're nasty. They are just, they'll go after you. They're passive-aggressive. They'll stonewall you. And you have to realize you'll find out what's inside of you when you get into conflict. And what was inside of Paul? He didn't try to fight them back. Paul said, I am going to continue to stay focused on the will of God and what God wants for me. Because here's my fear. And I want you guys to know this here, because here's the thing that really... I think that scares me the most for all of you in here that many times I want you to write this down this is key oftentimes we abandon God's will because of man's ill will Paul could have easily been like hey I'm checking out of this I'm going to, I'm I'm moving somewhere I'm going off the grid I'm not dealing with I didn't sign up for this have you ever heard somebody say that I didn't sign up for this when you signed up for Jesus, you did. He could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't abandon God's will. But how many people have ejected from the will of God because of what people have done to them? Can I tell you this? Don't make God pay for what some person did to you. God didn't do that to you. And Paul decided not to do that. Over my life, I say this with passion because even as a student minister, I was in student ministry. If you're a young person in here, I have seen some of the most on-fire young people on fire and I've said this before I mean you never would have believed it in the moment become crackheads because they got hurt by church and people in church 
and they got hurt by the grandmama and the granddaddy who got mad because church wasn't the way they liked it, and they wanted to fight and argue, and I've seen that happen. And my fear is for you is that you're going to come across somebody who's going to hurt you or say something mean to you or who's going to misrepresent you or gossip or lie about you, and then you're going to be like, I, I didn't sign up for this, I'm done. And can I tell you, I've seen some of the most talented ministers ever, pastors who I went to school with, hit the eject button on ministry saying, I'm done. I'm out. I refuse to be treated like this. I mean, full of the anointing, full of the gospel, man. Their life, they want to be a world changer. And they hit the eject button. Why? Because they abandoned God's will because of man's ill will. And I don't want to see that happen to you. No matter what that is in your life, don't let those voices dictate what God's called you to do. I had a, a guy say this on my first tour ever as a band. There was a church service that Sunday morning in this little cafe that we played at. And T.L. Lineberry, this little, I mean, small cafe, 25 people there. Our band was six of the 25. He said this, he said, your significance is not in the heads of other people. Meaning that you've got to stop dictating your worth and your significance that God wants to do with you, but what other people think about you. You've got to release that. Because if you don't, you'll end up ejecting from the will of God. So here's what I want you to do. Write this down. This is very important. I want you to not, don't give up when people stoop down. Don't give up when people stoop down. When they lie to your face, when they misrepresent you, when they accuse you of things, don't give up when people stoop down. And I tell you, that's the one message that I have had to live out in ministry over and over and over and over again. I never knew this here, and it caused me so much heartache. We planted our first church. I'll never forget that. And we were in Florida, and I planted my first church there. And again, I'm, I'm bivocational. It means I'm working a full-time job, and I'm also doing ministry, which is like you worked, I mean, literally to midnight every night and got up at 6 a.m. and went. It was brutal. And I gave my life to this church plant. started with nothing. And this man came to me. as an older man. He said, he called me. He said, this church means so much to me. He says, man, what you guys have done for my daughter and I is amazing. He says, pastor, I want to bless you. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. He said, no, no, no. The Lord has told me to do this. And so this guy wrote us a check. I was like, man, this is great. And I started paying bills on it. I started writing checks out and sending them off in the mail. This is a long time ago for online bill pay. I was excited. I was like, thank you, Lord. I really needed that because I am broke. And then he, he got into an argument with somebody else in the church. And he never told me. And I got all these little cards that came in the mail from back then, BB&T, that, you know, you, tear, you see them, you tear the top off, you know that means. It means overdraft. I had six overdraft checks, and they charged me not only for the overdrafts, but the money I didn't have in it. He canceled the check and never told me. And I'm sitting there, and $1,000 to me, should, you know, all that I had to pay back should have been like $10,000. I, 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 I made nothing. I was so heartbroken. I was like, why would someone do that? Why? I was so angry at God. I was so angry at, at people, like church people. And I wish that was the only story that I had to tell you. I mean, I could sit here for days and tell you story after story after story of people who call themselves Christians who will look at you in the eyes and completely lie to you. Pathological liars in a church over and over and over again. But can I tell you this? Here's what I've had to understand here. 
I never could give up when people stooped down. Just like Paul, you keep your face pointed true north toward Jesus. You fix your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith. And you do not let people ever turn the sails of your faith like a sailboat. Don't ever let them turn the sails of your faith to get you off course. No matter what they do to you, you get the rudder straight, you turn the sail straight, says, I'm keeping my eyes focused on Jesus. I refuse to, I refuse to give up when people stoop down. Because here's what, here's what will happen with people. Some of them just want to fight, y'all. You ever met people like that? They just want to fight? They just want to fight. They want to drag you down into a fight. And here's what you have to do. You have to refuse to fight unfair like they're fighting. Paul did not fight back. Paul did not ask the Roman. He could say, hey, hey listen, Roman soldiers, let's get, let's get together. I know where they're at. I want you to take them out because it's illegal what they're doing. Paul said, get me on the next ship out of here. I'm good. He said, my focus is getting to Rome. It's not these people down here. Friends, I don't know who this is for in here, but you've got to stop letting people around you affect the faith inside of you. And say, Lord, I don't care who it is around me. I don't care how close they are to me. I will keep my eyes focused on Jesus. Because can I tell you this? Doing the will of God is not easy, y'all. It's not. And I want to share with you, if you're going to not give up when people stoop down, there's three things that you have to understand about that. And the first one is this. Write this down in your notes. Don't use ease as a sign that it is God's will. A lot of times we think, oh, man, all the doors are open, green lights, so we think it's God's will, don't we? Must be God's will. Every door's opening up. Do you know that sometimes Satan will give you a good opportunity to get you away from your God opportunity? Sometimes you will get the promotion and the job transfer. And I've, seen people, I've seen people actually get the promotion, the job transfer. Their kids are in church. Their kids are growing in the Lord. They have a community. They move them somewhere else, and now the kids don't follow Jesus anymore because they, the, they, they got the money. They lost their children's faith because they were plugged in. They were connected. Don't ever use ease that it's a sign that it's actually God's will. Matter of fact, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Look, look at this. He says, there's a wide door open for me. That's awesome, right? Wide door. Must be God's will. But look what he says. For a great work here, although many oppose me, do not use ease as a sign that it's God's will for you. Paul faced hardship after hardship after hardship, betrayal, hurt, abandonment, everything that you've ever experienced, Paul experienced it. So when you're looking at God's will for your life, don't just don't ever use ease as an indicator that it's God's will. Uh, the second truth I've had to learn is this. Don't use hardship as a sign that, it's, that it isn't God's will. No doors are opening. All the doors are closed. It must not be God. Have you ever heard that before? No, it's pro that means it may be even more so God. Because Jesus said you got to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Paul said, there's a great work here, a wide door, and many oppose me. So when you're looking at God's will for your life, never say, because I'm facing such hardship, this must not be what God wants for me. Why isn't this working the way that I had planned? That will happen to you in life. 
And you have to realize that it may be even more so. God wants you to press in. God wants you to activate your faith. He wants you to begin to know him in a way you never have before. Never use hardship as a sign that it isn't God's will. And then finally this morning, realize this when it comes to hardships and people and opposition. God fights for those who refuse to fight. Let me say it one more time. God fights for those who refuse to fight. And, and in Exodus 14, 13, one of my favorite scriptures, this scripture has guided me through every opposition I've ever faced in ministry. And this is the scripture. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Do what? Stand still. Remember I told you before people want to drag you into a fight? What was the advice for Moses? God didn't say fight. He said stand still. Some of you just need to stand still. You just still and quiet your spirit and your soul and say, I'm not going to fight. He said, watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians will see today. You see today will never be seen again. Watch this, verse 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Breathe. The Lord himself will fight for you. Many times there are people who even have the t-shirt and, and hat to say Christians, they want to drag you into a fight. You know what the Lord would say to you? Stay calm. You don't need to fight. But I need to defend my... No, no, no you don't. The Lord's your defender. But what they did to me, I need to get... No, no, you don't. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. See, God fights people who are proud. Remember last week about, about, about proud and humble people? God fights people who are proud. God will resist you. God will fight you. But God fights for those who are humble. And you've got to make a decision sometimes when you have those things like Paul happened to him and you have those opposite. You've got to say, either I'm going to fight or I'm going to let God fight. But both's not going to happen. I'm either going to fight or I'm going to let God fight. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather the Lord fight my battles than me fight my battles. You know, I'll never forget this one time. There was a, an older guy. I was, I was in ninth grade. He was a senior. And my brother was about five years ahead of him. And he knew of my brother. But this guy always bullied me all the time. He'd always, like, taunt me. And he'd always tell me he's going to whip my tail and do this and do that. And I ain't nothing. And he'd cuss at me and do all this stuff. He's, he was the big boy in the football team. I told my brother one day, my brother stopped him one day at the turnaround. We had a little thing, you drove around in circles. Y'all ever do that and just park and hang out, a little small town thing we did? And my brother told him if he ever threatened me again, what he would do to him. And that guy came back to me and apologized the next week. <laughs> he said, listen, 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 Bordeaux, man, listen, I, I was just playing with you. I was just joking. I, I didn't really mean to do that. You know why? Because my brother threatened him. See, some of you need to realize you need to let God fight the battle with the bully in your life that you're, that you're up against. You stop trying to fight the bully. You need to, you need to tell God and let the Lord go to, and deal with that situation like my brother did. And my brother handled it. Stop trying to fight every battle in your life. You're a follower of Jesus. He has a plan for you. You're in the will of God. Sit back, stay calm, and let God fight that battle. And that's when you will see the salvation of the Lord in that situation. Amen? Stay calm. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, 
We live in a culture that's always at war, that's always fighting, there's always opinions. And God, unfortunately, we live in a culture where people fight unfair, they seek to hurt us, they seek to destroy us, and many times God has people close to us. I want to pray first of all, Lord, right now for everybody in here who is watching online who have been hurt by someone in a church that proclaimed to be a Christian. Father, right now we forgive those people. We release them to you, and we want to say, God, we're sorry for walking away from our faith because of what someone did to us. You didn't hurt us, God. You've always been there for us. Our Father who loves, who supports, who cares. So God, I want to pray for all of those who've been hurt by someone close to them, and maybe even someone in church, and maybe they gave up on their faith. Now I want to pray for everyone in here, Lord God, who's going through a battle right now. Somebody walked in here today, God, who was watching online, who's going through a battle. And they're wondering, am I doing your will? What did I do wrong? What's happening? And Lord, you're speaking to them right now, and you're telling them right now, you're telling them, stay calm. I'll fight your battles for you. Let that sink into their spirit. Let them know that they are in your will right now, God. And Father, I pray for all of those who will go into battles, who will step into leading small groups, leading serve teams, who will lead kids, men, who will seek your face and be all in. They're going to face opposition, and I pray, God, you will prepare them for that, and your presence will go with them and go before them, Lord. God, I ask for that right now. Lord, we love you, dear Jesus. We thank you that you fight battles for us. And as we're praying today, church, maybe you are that person who got hurt and you've kept, you've kept church and you've kept Jesus at arm's distance because of what some person did to you. Jesus didn't hurt you. He gave his life for you. And God wants to restore your soul. God wants to bring you back into faith once again, into a relationship with him. Or maybe you've never made that decision before. You've never truly surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Whoever you are in here today or watching online, today is your day for that decision. You say, God, just pray this prayer to me. Say, God, I need Jesus. I need the Savior I repent of my old life. I turn away from that life. I receive new life. I receive forgiveness of sins. I receive your Holy Spirit. For I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he died again, or he died and he rose again on the third day. And that he sits at the right hand of the Father. And today I make Jesus my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.